Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you like this to Um, <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. Hey, up you pop craze youngsters, and welcome to the latest episode of Chart Music. The podcast that gets its hands right down the back of the settee on a random episode of Top of the Pops. I'm your host, Al Needham, and alongside me today are my dear friends Neil Kulkarne. Hello there. And Simon Price. Hello. Jesus and Buzz ride again. <laughs> Boys, come on, you know what I want. The pop things and the interesting things. Lay them on a brother right now. Well, the last time we spoke, Al, was just before Christmas, I think. Indeed. And, and we all know what Jan is like precious little pop and interesting stuff no. happening the fucking interminable wait until payday yeah and i've been a right tightwad i've been a right antarctic dad refusing to <laughs> line the pockets of big heat you know i've been <laughs> living in my gym jams and stuff and, and clothes layers and gloves and looking at the emergency meters in the midst of all of this the only sort of light in it in a sense was uh, my youngest's birthday oh. she wound me up this month she made me go to Hobbycraft and buy a shit ton of clay because mm. she wanted to make a sculpture oh no wow. yeah it's Turns out it was of um, Eddie, the Iron Maiden mascot. <laughs> she knows I'm still a bit scared of Eddie. Oh, and she, she made this amazing sculpture, put it on the pillow next to me before I woke up, just so she could laugh at my shit-scared reaction <laughs> yeah. when I woke, which she didn't film, thank fuck. Um, she asked for uh, metal gauntlets and bracelets for her birthday, Ooh. you know, Man of War style shit. Oh, Jesus. So I, Oh yeah, I did my usual aged pervert shopping in blue banana. Thing. She's now she's now fully gauntleted up. She does look exactly like somebody from Manowar. Inevitably, I started trying them on, and I'm I'm getting a bit jealous. To be honest with you, they look amazing. Oh, uh, it's never too late, Neil. Never too late. No, it mate. is never too late. Did you do a few forearm smashes on on a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. on a cushion or something? Absolutely. When you put them on, you are fucking the Road Warriors, Legion of Doom, aren't you? It just makes you fucking hench. Yeah. And I've got a wedding coming up. I've got to play. My band's got to play a wedding, oh. and we'd be given a list of cover songs that that she wants. Some fucking awful ones that the bride wants. Oh, go on, such um, as. Uh, well, she wants us to do a couple of Queen numbers, oh, which mate. is kind of anathemical to my soul. She wants us to do crazy little thing called. Oh. She's trolling you so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And she wants us to do Who Wants to Live Forever, that fucking song from Highlander. But, I mean, Jesus. it'd be good to do them with the gauntlets. Any oasis? Um, no, no. Well, there you go. We would just, my, my, bassist has re- my bassist has refused to do any Queen songs, but I, I think he's coming round. The thing with gauntlets is, right, the male arm can be disguised to a point. If you wear, like, particularly if you wear mm. long sleeves or kind of long short sleeves, if you know what I mean, nobody really knows what you're packing at the top half of your arm. You mm. could... 
be a bit hench. You could work out. They don't know. Yeah, yeah. But the giveaway is always the wrist. If yeah. you've got weedy wrists, <laughs> right, people know. So this this is why yeah. those kind of cheap, heavy metal, blue banana wristbands are such a godsend. So, you know, yeah. you know, you put them on and everyone immediately thinks, oh, he's hard. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I do have, like, skinny girlish wrists. So I'm <laughs> oh, um, definitely thinking of getting myself a pair. The only sort of pop and interesting thing that happened this month, really, was, a, I think, a somewhat delightful thing happened on Twitter regarding Lieutenant Pigeon. Yes. But I, I can't help feeling that chart music's partly responsible for this. Yeah. A, a friend of mine uh, who lives in Cov, and he's kind of like a curator of the Coventry Music Museum, he said, you know, Lieutenant Pigeon recorded Moldy Oddo at this house in Coventry. And I sort of shared it on Twitter, and suddenly a load of aforementioned, as we mentioned on the last chart music, mm. uh, older athletic fans yes. sort of noticed this. And before you knew it, um, his request for donation so that a blue plaque could be put up on this house was exceeded, you know, like mm. in an afternoon. Amazing. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, big shout to the pop craze latics. It's been, in a sense, although it's usual January doldrums, it's been quite a hopeful January for me because mm. I started up a substat because I was bored. Yes, let's talk about this now. Well, yeah, late December, I thought, look, I've got all this fucking music that I listened to in 2021. Nowhere to stick it. And, and it, you cannot do an end of year list, you know, on the 1st of January. It's got to, you know, mm. come in under, under the wire. Yeah. So I rapidly published it, threw it out there, you know, free subscriptions, paid subscriptions for new writing. And I've had enough bites, you know. I've had Good like about skills. 200, 300 odd quid of bites. So <laughs> he'll behose me to plug it. But yeah, fuck it. Shell, Neil, shell. Neilk.substack.com. Um, please get a paid subscription. For you can do it right now, please. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you can get a paid subscription for about $7 a month. And, you know, let me relive the dreams of freelancing again. First mm. week of January, I was happy as a pig in shit. I was just in my dressing gown, smoking and writing. So, yeah, please subscribe to my subs that I have a strange sense of impetus and hope. Um, which has also actually been helped by having some slow time in the laundrette. It's lovely going back to the laundrette because my washing machine's knackered. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'm tempted not to get a washing machine because I love the. La- I'm, I'm getting back into the laundrette and, you know, just parking myself next to the window and watching the pig people of Charlesmore go by for about <laughs> 45 minutes. So, uh. yeah, a strangely hopeful start to the year. Are you taking your jeans off and shoving them in and just sitting there in your boxer shorts? <laughs> I, I honestly do not own a pair of jeans. Wow. But yeah, these gauntlets, what um, what you want, Neil, is you want a, a matching studded dog collar kind of thing. Yes, yes. And when you're singing, when you're doing your queen rumble, <laughs> right, you want to do like the, like the road warriors do, the wrestlers when they're being interviewed, really big hench fuckers. <laughs> And when they do their interviews, they they have their um the dog collars. They they have them just a little bit loose so they can Ooh. shake their head at the right moment, and the collar falls off. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Neil Kulkarni snacks on danger and dines on death. Too right, and in combination with a Freddy style moustache, I think yes. it'll be yeah, definitely got to be done. I'm still Good processing skin. this this image of uh, Neil waking up with the sort of clay <laughs> head of Eddie the Iron Maiden mascot next to him, and I'm just trying to picture Neil's face. And in my mind, it's like that bit in The Wicker Man where Edward yes. Woodward wakes up, and there's that sort of hand candle lit, and he just just sort of screams, and it cuts. And yeah, it was fucking terrifying. And she'd been doing it in a room, you know, like sculpting this thing in private and hiding it. So I couldn't because I am still scared of Eddie. I don't 
don't know what it is. There's something residual from way back in the day. Mm. He's the least favourite of, of the metal mascots, I think. I much prefer um, I much prefer Motorhead Snaggletooth. Simon, it's been a while, mate. What have you been up to? Come on, tell me all. Well, I think one thing that's happened since I last spoke to you is I've started a new teaching job. Ooh. I'm at the uh, LCCM, which is the London College of Creative Media uh, near London Bridge, um, right. teaching the history of pop. And as you can imagine, oh. I am like a pig in shit teaching that. <laughs> you know, it oh, is just... It's, Rock it's, expert Simon Price. Pop expert Simon Price, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I apologise. Pop expert. Yeah, absolutely. That's me. What are you doing at the minute then? So, for example, it allows me to kind of really indulge my own obsessions while maintaining the illusion that I'm teaching them the kind of official <laughs> canon. So, so you know, I suddenly stopped and played sort of seven T-Rex videos in a, in a row just because <laughs> I felt like it. Or I kept sort of crowbarring sparks into every lesson saying, well, of course, sparks are really important. To, you know, it might be reggae or something. And I'm saying, well... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I'm, yeah, really enjoying that. Um, the other thing that's changed is I've joined the bourgeoisie. <gasps> I know. Um, the working class can kiss my ass and all that. Um, yeah, it's, it's awful. Now, what's happened is I've moved house Ooh. and we've oh. moved to the suburbs. No. And I've never lived in the suburbs before. This is new to me. I'm an urban guy. You know, mm. I've always lived in, in the middle of a city, whether that's London or Brighton um, or even Paris. Uh, and... Um, the uh, the evil landlady at the last place was going to jack the rent up by 200 quid a month Fuck which yeah. yeah i know and it was already not cheap let me tell you oh. so you know that together with a few fortuitous things which made this possible means that we are now owners for the first time in my life um oh, like narrowly by the skin of our teeth uh, i'm i'm 54 years old and i've been living like a student for all of that time yeah. all my adult <laughs> life just like <laughs> renting and like having to move every couple of years uh what mm. you know not wanting mm. to move but just you know something will happen and or, or whatever and and it, it's horrible that kind of uncertainty i just yes. imagined i'd be like that till i was in my 80s i just thought that's how life is but yeah but but here we are so yeah we've we moved to the suburbs it's a part of brighton called bevendine um and it's um it's very much it looks like the metro land that john betjeman wrote about you know it's all 1930s <laughs> semi-detached houses mm. i can feel myself changing already I, I'm, I'm putting some distance between myself and, and the and the immature um <laughs> jeremy corbyn's unrealistic brand of student politics i think we need a, a more sensible mature centrist approach to solving britain's problems <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pulling the ladder up. We literally bought a ladder the other day. <laughs> so we bought we bought a ladder to access our loft conversion. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. And just moving out to the burbs, um, it's it's a whole different kind of pace of life. It's only a sort of ten minute bus ride from the middle of Brighton, but it's deathly quiet here. I mean, right. p- apart from anything else, we've we've got a front garden. I've never had a front garden before, so there's that kind of buffer between you and human beings walking past, mm. which yeah. it's just really alien to me. I, I'm used to just hearing that kind of suburb of life outside the window um and 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 also you know you you can walk around uh, after dark and there is no one you can hear a pin drop yeah like the other day i i fell over right or maybe at my age i should say i had a fall yeah yeah um (laughs) i i i I say i say it was the other day it was just before christmas i i was uh coming back home from central brighton with a heavy bag of shopping of sort of christmas related stuff and um there was there's loads of kind of like plastic bins and recycling bins out on the pavement it's quite a narrow pavement so i kind of like swerved my walk to avoid bumping into these bins and it was dark there's quite a lot of like long gaps between 
street lights. That's my excuse. Also, um, I, I was wearing these giant stack heeled Dr. Martins, these big sort of, um, oh, sort of, uh, that'll get the neighbors yeah. talking. <laughs> I, oh God. Yeah. I mean, right. This is it. We're trying to do everything we can to, to seem as sort of nice and normal as we can. Cause the neighbor's going to be talking anyway. Or, yeah, yeah. or we've seen that pair of goths who've moved in. So <laughs> yes. we're, we're just trying to do everything we can. Satan has moved in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and also just a change in, um, in the wildlife, like in my old place, all you saw out the window was pigeons and seagulls and mm. I've seen a seagull ripping the head off a live pigeon out of the oh. back window of my old place and the pigeons themselves look, look pretty dystopian because mm. our house backed onto a row of takeaways and oh, um, right. there was kind of um, an extractor thing an extractor from the kitchen of one of the takeaways where the pigeons had built a nest in the, in the extractor Whoa. which was I, I'm sure it was nice for them really warm but they came out all covered in chip fat and they all looked like <laughs> Sid Vicious these sort of Sid Vicious looking <laughs> pigeons it was amazing so one of these Sid Vicious pigeon heads being ripped off by a seagull was the kind of wildlife I was used to seeing if you saw a mammal it would be a rat but out here um it's squirrels and foxes like right as I yeah. speak I can see a squirrel kind of monkeying about because they are the kind of British monkey aren't they the squirrel really <laughs> um, and and the other day there were foxes having sex in our garden I'd, obviously I I drew the curtains to give them some privacy i'm not a complete pervert you know but yeah and you know uh, bird wise you've, you've got you've got rooks and robins and collared doves and most glamorous of all jays which are you know beautiful really, really yeah. colorful and all that and yes yeah, suddenly i'm i'm sort of a, a change of man living this sort of terry and june lifestyle um <laughs> yes. yeah it's i maybe I, I, I don't know what it's like where you guys live but this is novelty to me all this it really is it's very similar where I live. Just be just be wary, Simon. If anyone asks you to join a, a neighbourhood watch or something like that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. where the that's where the pampas grass connection yeah. really lies. Neighbourhood crotch, more like. <laughs> well, as far as chart music goes, Neil, I've got some very disturbing news to pass on to oh, you. Oh, um, you know, put the last episode to bed, reclined and luxuriated in the, in the afterglow of yeah. it, and then. All of a sudden, I got a message from one of my mates, Ayo Bev, which reads as follows. Hey, Al, I just interviewed Jay Osmond on WhatsApp and told him about your discussion of crazy horses on the last podcast. (laughs) Oh, my God. As I was talking, his wife was furiously searching for it online, and I now feel completely responsible for all the sexual swear words (laughs) they're going to hear. (laughs) Neil... Me and you have effed and jeffed in an Osmond's house. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I can just imagine the Mormon shock at that. Yeah. That don't sit right with me. Now. <laughs> yeah, same here. She also honest. went on to say, P.S. I told them about the Denim song, and they started searching for that. Oh, fantastic. So there you go, man. We've closed a circle. Oh, that is great. <laughs> that is so great. Yeah. yeah, That's mental. That is mental. That are, are outright blasphemy. Is in an Osmond household like that. That is nuts. I just love to know how long they lasted because I know within about five seconds I called Harry Nielsen a cunt. So I can't imagine they even got to you saying anything about how brilliant Crazy Horses is, man. So sorry about that, Neil. Uh, in other news, I had a fucking shit Christmas. Yeah. Started off on Christmas Day. For the first time ever, my mum's moved out of town and living up the road from my sister. So for the first time on Christmas Day, I'm getting to see me nephews and niece, which is mm. fucking brilliant. The concept was fucking yeah. brilliant. But I woke <laughs> up hungover as fuck at about, I don't know, 12 o'clock stumbled into the living room and there they are the little kids their faces all shining and smiling 
and I'd forgotten to take out money to give them, so that the, those smiles disappeared. <laughs> so I, I just said, you know, to try and take the mind off it. I just said, you know, come on, let's do something familial. And I just thought, you know, you, you know what I reached for? The Christmas Top of the Pops that was on that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I thought I'd sit down with the youth and, you know, educate them, yeah. as well as getting a, a little look into a, a window on their world. And, well, I lasted about 10 minutes. <laughs> had to be turned off because I caught myself kicking off at a nine-year-old girl because she said she liked Ed Sheeran. <laughs> and, then, and then fucking Coldplay or some Ugh. twats like that were playing in a castle. And yeah. I just said, right, fuck this. We're not watching this. And I put on the episode of Top of the Pops that we covered in the last episode of Charlton's Talk them all about Gary Glitter and, yeah. you know, Rolf Harris. <laughs> the magic of Christmas there. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I tried to question them on what kind of music they're into. And, you know, one of them's nine, one of them's 13, the other one's 21. Absolutely blank stares in return. Mm. It's like I'd asked them what their favourite shape of drill bit is. Yeah, yeah. It means nothing to them. Oh, it means fuck all. It's like in previous years, right, with my kids and grandkids... I've bought them presents, you know, to see their little faces light up. Mm. All of my grandkids, all they wanted this year was Robux, right? Which is, is a, I know, you don't know what it is, do no. you? You're talking about Roblox? I'm talking about Roblox. Well, Robux is a fucking American department store. No, right? no, but Robux is the voucher for oh, Roblox. May I stand corrected and I'm <laughs> no, 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 in my right. box. I do apologise. <laughs> and that's all they wanted. And, yeah. and, you know, it's a little card. Fucking cryptocurrency. And they, their, their eyes lit up with delight. All the specialness <laughs> is fucking gone, man. Yeah. And some of them wanted Minecraft fucking vouchers. I mean, fuck off. Oh, yes. come on. How much did we love getting a record token, though? No, no, fair enough. Yeah, but uh, as a supplement to your big track or your Sabutio or something mm. like that. Yeah, I guess. I think I'm just resisting the fact they're getting older. Because uh, there yeah. does come that time, doesn't there, in your life when you're about 10, 11, all you want is money. Mm. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, and before we move on, uh, I, I want to give a shout out to the members of Chart Music who are currently under heavy manners with the spiteful armoured bollock yeah one's recovering yeah. one's coming off the arse end of it and i know that the pop craze youngsters will be joining us in wishing them a swift and full recovery as they malinger in their sick beds read <laughs> comics and get stuck into another episode of crown court get well soon <laughs> duckies oh man have you had it yet no no i've dodged it maybe this is the most boring chat going uh, yeah yeah I, I had it back in august I, did I did, you? yeah yeah i, I didn't i oh, didn't mate. Sort of, yeah yeah I, i'm pretty sure what we we had was a delta variant which was like oh. it wasn't the og covid it was like when, when an album gets reissued on the fame label and it doesn't have the same kind of inner <laughs> sleeve but yeah um we were fully jabbed up by that point so obviously the effects God. were kind of uh, toned down a little bit because of mm. that but it gave me enough of a window into what it would have been like if we weren't jabbed up and for you know about three days it was pretty fucking scary couldn't breathe my breathing's not great anyway mm. so yeah um get jabbed everybody it's horrible yeah yeah regardless of what um van morris or Ian Brown or Eric Clapton tells you. Yeah. <laughs> Be more like Neil Young. Yes. Yeah. Good old Neil Young. So we've come to the part of the show where we stop, we drop, and we bow the knee to the latest batch of pop craze Patreons. And in the $5 section this time, we have Anthony Stenson, 
Craig Shelton, Andy Crayford, James Fox, Brendan Stone, No Chorus, Sarah Leclerc, Wayne Azarate, Brendan McCarthy, Tony Coles, Eddie Cockring, Stephen Moore, Bruce, Caitlin Francis, Wraith, and Dan Gent. Thank you, babies. Mm-hmm. Can I just stop there to thank Sarah Leclerc specifically? I know we shouldn't pick people out, but she used to write for Melody Maker way back. Did she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Kind, of, kind of lost touch. And uh, yeah, well, well, you know, good go. on you, Sarah. Good to know you're out there. Yeah. I'm just sort of also wondering which of those uh, was actually Jay Osman. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and in the $3 section, we have Alan Elliott, Ian Hamilton, David Waring, Simon Mulvaney, Russell Young, Richard Walkington, and Joe Lath. Thorn. Oh, you you completers, you sexy bastards. Uh, we love you like our name was the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Oh, and Stephen Metcalf, Chris Mitchell, Gavin Montgomery, Richard Williamson and Riley Briggs. You know what they did, chaps? They only went and jacked it up as a Christmas box for us. Isn't that nice oh. of them? Oh, lovely stuff. And one thing those pop-crazed youngsters get to do every month is fiddle and a diddle and a tinker and a tanker with this week's chart music top 10. Shall we, chaps? Yes, please. Hit the fucking music! We've said goodbye to Tyler the XXX, privately educated, Romocop, and Jeff Sex. Which means none up, four down, three non-movers, and three new entries. It's a new entry at number 10 for Singleton Notes, Purvis and Judd. (laughs) Holding fast at number 9, rock expert, David (laughs) Stubbs! No change either at number 8, for staircase of cock. <laughs> and it's another non mover at number seven. Here comes Chisholm. Yes. Last week's number one falls five places to number six, the popular orange vegetable. <laughs> Into the top five, and it's a one place drop for Bummer Dog. Right. Down one place from number three to number four, the bent cunt who are fucking real. <laughs> Last week's number two. This week's number three. Skin heady heady. <laughs> and straight in at number two. Ooh. Crosby Stills Nash and Glitter. Which means Britain's number one. The first number one of the year and the highest new entry straight in at number one. Wow. Two Ronnie's one Oh. <laughs> oh, what a chart, dear boys. What a chart. Give me the bullet. Gives you hope for the new year, doesn't it? I mean, we've already established that Singleton, Noakes, Purvis and Judd are a well Canterbury sound. And uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Glitter essentially speaks for itself, doesn't mm. it? Mm. Our house. Hey! is a very, very, very fine house. Hey! But what's the stitch with two Ronnies, one cup? I'm saying no, gay electro disco. It's gay electro disco. Kind of like Bronski beat meets man to man featuring man parish. That kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's a little darker than that. I think it's kind of uh, songs that Throbbing Gristle would have rejected as too offensive. (laughs) Or or a bit White House, you mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
I'm deeply upset that Baxter, Woolard and Rod didn't make the top ten, though. For fuck's sake. But then again, as that bloke in the Melody Makers Letters page said last episode, you know, bands like Baxter, Woolard and Rod must always struggle because their music requires some concentration and you can't get off on it straight away. While bands like Skin, Heady, Heady and Here Comes Jizzle, who use simple, repetitive chords and phrases, will always flourish. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Even in the chart music top ten, you know, the, the big bands squeeze out their pap for the mug masses to lap up. Yeah. <laughs> this is pop, yeah. So if you want in on the pulsating go-ahead lifestyle of the pop craze Patreons who have already crammed this entire episode without adverts into their gaping moors, you know what to do. Keyboard, patreon.com slash chart music, money g-string you can do it right now please (laughs) so this episode pop craze youngsters takes us all the way back to april the 26th 1984 now chaps we've we've taken a saunter down 1984 street a couple of times haven't Mm. we but this one happens to be the first that doesn't have frankie goes to hollywood at number one so (laughs) there is that but there's a specific reason why we're doing this episode and we'll come to that later but you know going through this episode quite an eye-opener wasn't it oh yeah it's a right grab bag of bollocks isn't it yeah very much so i mean one of the basic tenets of 80s pop according to the chart music odyssey (laughs) is that live aid was a fault line through the decade which allowed the dinosaurs of pop to come lumbering back but this episode clearly demonstrates that the surface of the plastic cup of water was rippling long before the summer of 80 yeah it does in in many Mm. ways superficially it still feels like the early 80s but there are things happening in it which you can sense the ground shifting beneath your feet and we are moving into the mid 80s haven't fully got there yet but yeah there are a lot of things which like you say would probably be associated with band-aid live aid and all of that Mm. but they were just sort of biding their time they were sort of uh, affirming their status as the sort of acts who were worthy of being on that kind of global stage. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was very much, you know, a shift from Brit-centric uh, pop and pop charts through to more sort of Americanized and globalized feel, I think. Very much so, yeah. Very much so. Mm. Which is odd because, I mean, in a way, we could see that the lines of things getting not as good as the early 80s in 83. But actually, at this time in 84, I was really open and quite slaggish about pop music. Mm. Looking, looking at the chart, I, was, I hadn't yet developed all the enmities and hatreds that would excise people from my listening. So, you know, I was quite open to a lot of this stuff in the charts. Yeah. Hip-hop had kind of gone away in 84 a little bit, waiting for its renaissance in 85 with Run DMC. So in a pop mm. sense, I was very open and getting tre- obviously getting tremendously excited about Frankie in particular. It's mm. probably a terrible time for pop, but a time when my engagement with pop via radio, TV and smash hits was, was total and absolute. I mean, without spoiler in this episode, I'd, I'd like you to contemplate the following statistic, chaps. Mm. Average age of the presenters on this episode of Top of the Pops, 33. Mm. Average age of the front persons on this episode of Top of the Pops in all the bands and the artists and all that kind of stuff, 35. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Only three of the 10 acts we're going to see tonight are in the 20s. Only one person on stage in the entire episode is a teenager and 
eight of them are old enough to legally be our parents at the time. <laughs> In a nutshell, chaps, this episode is Night of the Living Dads, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of a re-professionalisation of pop. Mm. The kids are not going to be allowed to take over anymore. And these no. old guard are kind of re-exerting themselves. I don't know. I didn't really feel that way when I watched it. I mean, when you point out the stats, it's undeniable. But those... I mean, the the stats of the age of the presenters on average and of the artists are pushed up artificially by one presenter and, let's say, two artists in particular. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, watching it, I, I think that there are at least sort of three or four things there that are aimed at young people, mm. I would say. But we'll come to that. Let's move on. No, sorry, it's 1984. Let's go for it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Radio 1 News. In the news this week. American researchers have announced their discovery of human T-cell leukemia virus type 3, otherwise known as the AIDS virus. In the wake of the shooting of WPC Yvonne Fletcher nine days ago, the Foreign Office have ended the siege at the Libyan embassy by deporting all 50 embassy staff with diplomatic immunity whilst closing down their embassy in Tripoli. Seven out of nine pits in Nottinghamshire stay open after the Easter break, defying calls from Arthur Scargill for an all-out strike. Don't start shouting scab at me. (laughs) Bobby Kennedy's son has been found dead of a drug overdose in a Palm Beach hotel. Prince Fairclough has been coated down by American media after he sprayed his press pool with a paint gun on his visit to California and said, I enjoyed that. Prince Fairclough. Count Basie has died today in a Florida hospital at the age of 79. A male stripping trooper been paid £200 to put on a show at a hen party at the Greenham Common Peace Camp next week. (laughs) A programme broadcast by BBC Radio Merseyside claims that 50% of people aged between 14 and 25 in their catchment area are regular users of heroin. Liz Dawn 
who plays Vera Duckworth in Coronation Street, is waiting to see if she's getting sacked after she appeared in Cabaret at a restaurant in Halifax, opened the show by saying she was too pissed to perform, (laughs) and then punched her agent in the face and had a go at the restaurant owner when she was told she wasn't getting her £325 fee. Luckily, Bill Tarmer, her on-screen husband Jack, was in the audience and stood in at short notice. What a pro. That's amazing. Liverpool have knocked Dinamo Bucharest out of the European Cup semi-final and will play Roma in the final. Spurs have knocked out Hajduk Split in the UEFA Cup semis, but Man United have been knocked out in the Cup Winners' Cup by Juventus and Forest have been cheated out of their UEFA Cup semi-final <laughs> thanks to Anderlecht president Constant van den Stock bunging referee Emilio Guraceta Muro 1.2 million Belgian francs to act the cunt on the pitch. Fuck them both up the arse with a stick with a nail in it. Not that you bear a grudge or anything. Is that the reason we chose this episode, Al? You just, <laughs> you've been saving that up. Boy George accuses customs officers at Heathrow for being obnoxious pigs after John Moss was detained for two hours over a pair of trousers he bought back from New York and Mikey Craig was detained for six hours over a guitar. George was still in America as he wanted to stay behind a bit to see Liberace in concert. George was still in America because he knew what the fuck would happen when he got through there with his luggage. Mm. But the big news this week is that the BBC have announced plans to launch a new soap opera their first since the newcomers finished in 1969 to replace the ailing news show 60 Minutes and in an attempt to lock viewers into BBC One all night. According to the Sunday Mirror, the soap will be, quote, a cheerful slice of life set in the (laughs) east end of London. (laughs) Yeah, what happened there? Filming will commence in August and it will run twice a week from early 1985 with a chat show on the other weeknights with Terry Wogan and Russell Harter as the front runners to present. In terms of like what EastEnders was set up to do to lock you into BBC One for the night, it kind of worked on me completely. Uh, I was massive watcher of EastEnders for the first 10-15 years. Yeah, I guess I was really, yeah. I've come to form the opinion that EastEnders is the prime culprit in the decline and eventual death of Top of the Pops, but you know, I'll lay out my case when the time is right. (laughs) All right. No, seriously, it was death by a thousand cuts. I'm surprised you didn't mention by the way that on April the 26th, 1984 Sultan Iskandar of Johor became Yang de Pertuan Agong of Malaysia, the supreme ruler of Malaysia. I just assumed everyone knew that mate. yeah i mean a bit of a colorful character um he's what's diplomatically known as a strict disciplinarian right um, which basically means he was a right fucking arsehole right mm. he was a motorbike enthusiast who kept peacocks but um he used to walk around with a pistol in his waistband mm. and he's most known for the gomez incident of 1992 where um he and his goons beat up a hockey coach that he come into a disagreement with right and uh yeah you can say what you like about him now he's dead it's fine yeah okay. <laughs> i just thought i had to put that out there for all our Malaysian listeners. <laughs> you know, I, know, I know we have many. Yeah, think global, Simon. Always. Yeah, yeah. 
Those male strippers at Greenham Common, man. There's another play for today, isn't there? Well, let me get this right. Were they sent by some kind of mischievous tabloid newspaper? No, on the no, basis no, no. that all oh, right, it was actually hired by the Greenham women themselves. I mean, if Al, if you'd have been part of that troupe, would you have? Done- oh yeah, you know, we don't even finish that question. <laughs> of course, I would. No, but I'm, I'm saying, if you'd have been part of that troupe, would you? How would you have adapted your costume and act to reflect it? I'm just thinking of missile shapes, <laughs> intercontinental ballistic missiles, etc. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could have kind of like got together. If there was four of us, we could have formed the uh, CND symbol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can't kill the spirit, girls. <laughs> I am like the mountain. <laughs> On the cover of Melody Maker this week, Ian McCulloch of Echo and the Bunny Men. On the cover of Smash Hits, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. The number one LP in the country is now That's What I Call Music 2. Can't Slow Down by Lionel Richie is at number two. And over in America, the number one single is Against All Odds by Phil Collins. And the number one LP is a soundtrack to Footloose with 1984 by Van Halen at number two. So, boys, what were we doing in April of 1984? I was 16 going on 17, like my name was Liesel Von Trapp. (laughs) My life was an empty page that men would want to write on. (laughs) Uh, uh, eager young lads and roues and cads would offer me food and wine Uh, i was innocent as a rose bachelor dandies drinkers of brandies what did i know of those (laughs) i was in transition really i mean the uh, pop crazy youngsters have already heard what i was like at the age of 15 i guess you know wearing a burgundy cardigan with a big y on it dabbing detol on my acne damaged skin which only made it worse staring out the window listening to dexies all of that you know stuff but i was kind of shifting i wasn't yet writing for the local paper simon says uh, yes i was really open yeah never i know not quite not quite. Uh, that was coming in the summer. Right. But I was kind of just my whole interests and my aesthetics were moving along a bit. My best friend at the time was a kid called Andrew Hammond. And he was into Bob Dylan. And I was into the Smiths, of mm. whom possibly more later. Mm. Um, we were both into vintage stuff, which I think it's a real shift when you're a teenager. When you move from everything having to be brand new, all your clothing yeah. and everything, to yeah. actually sort of think, no, I like old stuff. And sort yeah. of understanding that it's not embarrassing to wear secondhand clothes and it can actually be cool and you can actually break away slightly from wearing what every other fucker is wearing Mm. to just sort of adapting things and just coming up with your own style not that my style was particularly original but um we go into jacob's market in cardiff which was still is in fact um an indoor market over several floors uh, in what what was then the red light district it's uh it's right by where the manics later recorded the holy bible right and we go in there and we buy old cinema posters and beads and old clothes and stuff we'd be wearing brothel creepers and granddad shirts and Mm. secondhand dinner jackets and brooches um I actually borrowed a brooch off my mum, which was uh, a family heirloom, and I got into loads of trouble because um, <laughs> it fell off my jacket on the way home from a disco at Barry Island oh, and got run over no. in a back alley behind a chip shop. Yeah, and I later found it. I went back the next day thinking, oh, maybe it's there. And I found it, but it was all crushed by car wheels and oh. all in pieces. Yeah, yeah. But we were just bored shitless, so we used to just run into church halls and working men's clubs into the doorway and shout communists with a bomb and run away um, <laughs> just for something to do this was around the same time as my famous um, crisp sacrificing exploits uh. on uh, on the on the druid circle um, but we actually formed a band as well like a duo <gasps> yeah what were they called they were called the Mary Brennell boys murder wow <laughs> 
and it came to me in a dream and it, it was a weird dream it wasn't just it wasn't a dream where visual things happen it was just a voice in this kind of slightly sort of spooky low tone just repeating over and over the Mary Brennell boys murder and I woke up with a real kind of shudder and I decided it had to be the name of our duo uh, so yeah there's just two of us with acoustic guitars and uh, we used to go into Cardiff and sit on the floor in the pedestrian shopping street Queen Street uh, with with our with our Ray-Bans on because not <laughs> not to be cool but because we were shy and scared of catching anyone's eye and People would come up to us and throw money, and we would get really angry because we're like, "No, no, that's not what we're doing it for." <laughs> and uh, and we 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 pick up the money and throw it back at them. You know, we had this idea of because uh, because the Jesus and Mary chain was starting to become known. Mm. We thought, well, the way they're fucking around with the electric guitar and getting feedback from it, maybe we can do that with acoustic guitars <laughs> by going into like going into like an indoor shopping um, kind of arcade and playing a really loud chord and sort of swinging around with it and getting loads of echo. <laughs> and stuff like that uh, and um, our best song was 12 seconds long it was called Pain Angel um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I can still hear it in my head this is a song about a girl and a boy <laughs> <laughs> I wrote one called James Dean and Natalie Wood which was absolute shit <laughs> Andrew wrote one called Sylvia's Paris Adventure which was about this elderly lady he fancied who worked in the chip shop where he had a part time job wow. which is you know a bit weird but you know that's, that's fair enough but yeah we, we played um, one gig in Barry, which is down at the Boating Lake and this, this was a bit later on when I did have my newspaper column and I kind of announced it the previous week I said well, every, everybody everybody turn up at uh, this this boating lake this kind of like a, um, a, a concrete shelter with pillars uh, next to the lake and you know we thought this would be good for our crazy acoustic experiment so uh, you know we said everyone's got to come here in the end like about four people turned up and even even with four people in front of us we were so shy and embarrassed that we ended up not playing any of our own songs and just played Jesus and Mary Chain covers oh. <laughs> um, but there was a woman there who was from the rival local paper the Barry Gem oh no and uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, she actually wrote a review of it, but wow. she obviously uh, she she didn't get that um, it was cover version. She thought that we'd written like "Taste of Cindy" by the Mary Chain or whatever, and she actually did a write up saying they could be quite big in a bedroom sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that was the Mary Brennell boys murder, and that's where I was at in 1984. Wow. Tape? There is no tape of it. Oh, but and, says you. Andrew, yeah. the, the other half of the Mary Brennell boys murder, Andrew, happens to live in Brighton now. Oh, come uh, on, so reunion. I, yeah, I'm thinking reunion, right? It, listen, just watch this space, that's all I'm saying. <gasps> oh, man. And I'll announce it for some kind of boating lake <laughs> in Brighton and see who comes along. <laughs> well, in comparison, my 84, my God, is very mediocre. Second year of senior school, between about 11 and 12. And just yeah. really starting to realise just what a strange institution my school was. Mm. Um, having done a fair few chart musics around about this 80s period, I do worry that my memories kind of blur and overlap. But luckily, because I'm a hoarding old cunt, I found in my, the mess that is my front room a little aperture into my 12-year-old consciousness Ooh. via a plethora of old exercise books from school, <gasps> yes. which, which, to be honest with you, don't really tell me much about myself other than that I was fucking lazy, but I could do a really great colour-coded picture of plate tectonics. And I was mm. also, I also did an excellent diagram of a locust. Oh, man. Well, what more do you well, need? Well, quiet. But they did remind me that I did fucking Greek at school. 
No, I did fucking why? Latin at school because my school had pretensions of being a public school, you know, presumably prepping us all for life's as future captains of industry. But I've got, I've, I found this this book called Greek Vocabulary. I've written on the front of it. I've spelt vocabulary wrong. <laughs> but, um, it's got all this fucking Greek writing in it. I'm, I never even learned the alphabet, which is the basics of learning Greek, I guess. Mm. Um, and we were taught this by an old teacher called Ted Norris, who's a fucking lunatic ex-military. Um, but I, I, I always liked him in a weird way. He's very intimidating. But I remember I had a mate who was just a real tear away and was really bad at pretty much everything. And he illustrated an essay about the fall of Troy. Um, yeah, this is the kind of shit we were taught. By at the top of it, he drew a massive apple going one way, and a nuclear missile going the other oh. way. And yeah, the teacher gave him top marks. He said that that's a real insight. That is, um, it was the eighties. But yeah, it's demented school, you know. And and these exercise books really reveal that Greek and Latin. I mean, what was the fucking point? Yeah. Well, you could be a doctor in Athens, I suppose. Well, I guess so. But beyond that, yeah, yeah. I was just apprehending what a strange school I was at. And unlike Simon, I hadn't developed these lines of call about what I was into quite yet. So I was really, yeah, I was into into pretty much anything that floated my boat, particularly Frankie at this time. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm five days away from a 16th birthday and five days away from my first exam uh, math CSE mm-hmm. and I've already decided that there's absolutely fuck all point in revising because you know there's no jobs to go to because hey it's 1984 Thatcher's Britain etc etc and you know we're all going to die in a nuclear holocaust anyway so f- fuck it I'm ramming on ours ramming handfuls of uh, fun sized Milky Way into me gob and watching <laughs> Top of the Pops on the portable telly upstairs I'm essentially living the first scene of the first episode of Going Out and Four Idle Hands and prospects and all those drama series about youths turning into adults. Mm. I'm desperate to get the fuck out of school, but I'm also aware that my entire support system's about to be kicked away. We went on about Alice Cooper in the last episode, and you know, it might go on about no more teachers and no more pencils, but he's never stopped to think that it also means no more football on the tennis court three times a day, mm. no more seeing the girls you fancy every day, mm. no more easy access to your mates, and no more somewhere to actually fucking be in the week no more structure no more order terrifying because there were people there who i'd knock about with on a daily basis and then don't hear a word from them until about 30 years later when they're tapping me up on facebook Mm. that's mad yeah oh it's a tremendously anxious time my daughter's going through that at the moment because she's she's gonna be doing the gcse's you know but i've reassured her we're just gonna get a big van and a big dog and go solve mysteries so (laughs) so we'll be all right well i suppose nowadays for most kids they get funneled into further education straight away don't they yeah and i'm starting to feel that the whole system of education education is bullshit so um yeah i might even be going the homeschooling route fuck it she wants to be a music journalist which strangely she does um right maybe i can give her some help take her to go and see simon's reunion again. <laughs> <laughs> give honest appraisal like school i'm watching top of the pops not because i want to but because i have mm. to you know to keep an eye on things whilst not expecting anything to blow my tiny mind yeah and i'm also noticing that that like you simon whatever money i have nowadays is starting to go towards the second-hand record shops and second-hand mm. clothes shops of nottingham yeah yeah that chasing after the 60s has begun in earnest yeah mm-hmm. yeah 
And we're going to see elements of that in this episode, aren't we? Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, it's a common thread throughout the grim mid-80s, isn't it? Well, boys, I do believe it's about time that we have a bit of a leaf through an edition of the music press from this week. And this time I've gone for the NME. Would you care to join me in this leaf through? Oh, yeah, let's. All right, then. (laughs) On the cover... An extremely blue-tinted banana-rama looking up at the clouds. Mm-hmm. In the news, well, there isn't any really, because bar a few tour announcements, NME hasn't bothered with its news section this week and have given over that space to let Bieber Kopf tell the world about the new pop sensation that all the kids are getting down to lie back. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Seeing that the only news item of note in Melody Maker this week is that Epic are denying that Michael Jackson is working on a new single called Tingle, <laughs> it's safe to assume that pop is on its half term. Did you look into this? Because I did. The Tingle Go on, thing. please. Well, it turns out it was an April Fool hoax that sort of got out of hand. Really? Um, yeah, I looked at it. This is website. Well out of hand, because this is April the 28th. Yeah, well, the thing is, people didn't realise it was a hoax, and they took it and run with it. So I found this. This is from hoaxes.org, which is a you know, pretty good website for this oh. kind of shit. Right. And what they say is... On Cable magazine reported that a huge publicity blitz was being planned around an upcoming Michael Jackson song, Tingle. The song was said to be three minutes and 12 seconds long, and a video of it would feature Jackson walking out of a boutique and catching fire. Um, (laughs) Jackson's record company had reportedly also developed a 37-minute promo clip to hype the video. And this promo was, in turn, being developed into a three-hour film by Paramount. Right. So, I mean, already you're thinking, how did anyone not know this was a hoax? But it carries on. Three video versions of the song would be sold. Michael Jackson's Tingle for $39.95. Making the Tingle video for $79.95. And the, I know where this is going. And the making of the making of the Tingle video for $99.95. Right. Um, MTV was supposedly going to show the 37-minute promo clip hourly. (laughs) (laughs) So basically leaving 23 minutes for anything else. Um, Parker Brothers would release a board game designed around it. (laughs) Pepsi would be the official soft drink of the video. And all states would sell exclusive fire insurance along with the video. (laughs) And yet, despite all of that, you know, pretty much signpost, telegraphed, flagpole, fucking obvious jokes in that um mm. yeah um somebody in well several people in american media picked that up took it seriously ran with it to the extent that it then ends up in the enemy ha- um, with spokespersons for the melody maker oh, sorry don't blame the enemy for this Simon. <laughs> it's your lot and it then ends up in melody maker with spokespersons for the record label having to deny it i mean for fuck's sake if you're gonna hoax yeah. go big i guess yeah, yeah, yeah. Bieber Kopf, prophetic there. I mean, if, if any band defined the 80s, it was Liebach. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oddly enough, Al, I know you had problems with Bieber, didn't you? Because he slagged off, was it Was it the jam or was it? Paul Weller, yeah. yeah he slagged off the jam. He's yeah. my current editor at The Wire, by the way. Not Paul Weller, but Bieber Kopf. No way. Is he? He is. Chris, Chris Bond, yeah. It's, it's a strange thing, these names that we're conjuring with. You know, like last month I had to bother him for an advance on some Magpay because I was so skint. It's just weird getting in touch with these people with these day-to-day hundred concerns. But yeah, he's my current editor. He's a good one, actually. 
doesn't like the jump no. rope, so fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> In the interview section, well, Susan Williams, the current pen name of Stephen Wells, nips over to the offices of London Records to goad and poke Banana Rama, who are still basking in the afterglow of Robert De Niro's wait in getting to number three, and their new LP Banana Rama coming out next week. Wells opens the article by pointing out that the LP is dedicated to Thomas Riley, a long-time friend of the group who was shot by British soldiers in Belfast. Siobhan tells him how they were mithered at the funeral by the News of the World and News at Ten, who wanted shots of the three of them together, and says she regrets not telling him that the reason Riley, her ex-boyfriend's brother, is dead is because the British government has got 18-year-old boys running about with loaded guns. They go on to tell Wells that they were wearing headscarves to still sign on while they were having top five hits with a fun boy three. They're sick of being called cute when they only wear sunglasses to disguise how hideous they all look without makeup and they don't get on with the current crop of Radio 1 DJs who didn't play Robert De Niro's waiting until it got into the charts. Quote from Siobhan, one of the DJs said, Banana Rama are harder to fuck than fives. Ha ha, very witty. They're all nicey nicey on the air, but after that it's all lads together. We don't prop up the bar with them leering at secretaries. We don't fit in with that crap. Oh, good yeah. on them. Paul Morley has been tasked to interview Fish out of Marillion, but he completely forgot about it, so he's surprised when he gets screamed at by Fish over the phone from an officer EMI, who tells him that he's been waiting two years to have a go at the NME. <laughs> Morley then tells us that all he knows about Fish is, quote, silly eye makeup, a pansy page boy haircut, and songs that make the Bible look abbreviated. An interview is scheduled for the next day, meaning that Fish has to cut short his attendance of the razzmatazz end of series party. And the interview commences with Mr. Dick apologising for being pissed up yesterday, telling Morley that he was the only enemy hack he wanted to talk to after his recent confrontation with Phil Collins. Then he asks him what his star sign is. Morley asks Fish, Are you a prat? And the tone for the interview is set. <laughs> Fish claims that the enemy doesn't like Marillion because they might be scared that a band influenced by the 70s could actually be the one true band of the 80s. <laughs> He's aghast that some people laugh more at his band than they do at Duran Duran, and he doesn't care if people bitch about him as long as they listen, man. Morley concludes the interview by saying that Fish is a bit mad, but a bit clever as well. Mm. These confrontation interviews, I'm, I'm, I was all for them at the time, and still are now. Have you ever had interviews like that where you've clashed heads properly with people? Yeah. Yeah, I've had a few. What's your favourites? <sighs> I.e. the ones where you won. <laughs> to be honest with you, with me, it was never the context of the interview as such. It was my behaviour. Um, so with the band Puddle of Mud, for instance, oh, terrible, mm. terrible band, I um, stubbed my fag out in their stash. That pissed them off. Ooh. I got Jerry the Damager didn't get along with me. Marilyn Manson didn't particularly get along with me. Just as well, eh? Well, quite, quite. I mean, but but yeah, it was never sort of... I, I, I am too shy 
to ask questions you like, you know, why are you such a wanker or anything like that. <laughs> I have spoken with bands whereby they're strung out, they're on their last legs, they're all on heroin and stuff, and you do end up having to just take the piss out of them just to get anything out of them at all. Yeah. Um, that certainly happened with Smashing Pumpkins in my experience. Um, they, they were all strung out to fuck and I just had to start taking the piss. The confrontational interview used to happen, I suppose, because of the power of the weekly music press in those days. Because yeah. there was... You know, there there were few other places for artists to go and for record labels to go. So, you know, somebody like Fish would be sent along to sort of be richly slaughtered by the NME because, like, where else are they going to get any publicity? Um, yeah. And that was still mm. kind of lingering on in our day a little bit, but it tended to be more with indie bands. So, for me, there was this band from Hull called Kingmaker, who hardly anybody remembers now, but this mm. they were they were briefly popular, sort of. But cover of the enemy one you week, they? yeah they were very enemy you see they're very kind mm. of mm. just sort of bog standard landfill indie as far as i was concerned and i interviewed the chap laws and you know he was perfectly nice but he knew and i knew when we went in that i wasn't a fan and that was the whole basis of the interview and um i thought because he knows that and i know that i'm not going to stitch him up it'd be so easy to go in there and just sort of pretend that i, I love his band and, and i'm going to give him a fair hearing um you know i laid my cards on the table and made it clear i didn't like him and sort of you know gave him a few reasons why and i, th- I think i wrote up a fair piece where we both sort of reasoned our point of view and i remember the last line being we leave by separate doors <laughs> you know <laughs> it was a pub in soho and we literally did leave by separate doors so yeah um it, it was it was a thing back in the day but totally would not happen now oh good god no there's no I, I can't even conceive of any situation where that would happen maybe only if it was somebody like really fucking powerful like i don't know joe rogan or somebody on his podcast would get mm. to do that but um it's it's a dying or dead yeah, art. now the PR would simply not allow that to happen. Um, just wouldn't get the access. Yeah, and the editor yeah, yeah. wouldn't even commission it. Um, not a yeah. chance. You've got a cheerlead. Sean O'Hagan drops in on the latest contender to Bob Marley's throne, Winston Foster, better known as Yellow Man, while he's on tour in Europe. He tells O'Hagan that he wants to make reggae popular again throughout the world with his cheeky tales of nobbing loads of women, which is a big joke that the ladies in the audience are in on. He also believes that reggae is in the doldrums because too many of its practitioners are banging on about politics all the time and ignoring the real issues, like telling people how many kids they've fathered and how great they are. Ed Ward drops a double-page spread about his sojourn through Louisiana and Texas in an attempt to dig into Cajun music, Zydeco in particular. He advises the readership that if they want in, they need to get their asses over to New Orleans, scowl the posters on the walls for upcoming gigs, and then work out their chances of getting shot there or not, and not to kick off if you get barred out on the door for not coming from round here. <laughs> and this week's subject of portrait of the artist as a consumer is Alan Freeman, who tells us that his favourite TV shows are Channel 4 News, That's Life and The Money Programme, he likes making love and truth. <laughs> and his favourite records include One Day I'll Fly Away by Randy Crawford, Rock and Roll Part 2 by Gary Glitter, and I Like Big Tits by Joe Walsh. <laughs> Single reviews. Well, Gavin Martin is in the chair this week and his singles of the week are a one-two punch of Southern soul from 70s veterans. First up is Leave the Bridges Standing by Shirley Brown. 
The lady famous for the stack standard woman to woman cuts herself a niche away from the empty gestures and trifling diversions of so many young bods. Let's hope that British distributors don't waste too much time getting their mitts on this, hence not losing any sales to the import market, hence putting some real music in the charts. The second, Gotta Give a Little Love by Timmy Thomas, is a jab of solar plexus bending New Orleans flavoured funk, a few lightning shards of scratch, and a spruce and prickly invocation to a fave soul meeting place, the utopian dance floor. Enemy's really into its old soul stuff at the minute. Oh, aren't very it? much so. Yeah. And all of this single stuff from Gavin Martin, it's a reminder of kind of. One of the delightful things about doing a singles page was it, it was your chance really to push your vision of mm. what you thought important pop was because you weren't limited mm-hmm. to one band or anything. Mm. So you could accentuate some, slag off others, and it really was a page-long chance for you to kind of say, this is what I think is important yeah. in pop uh, music. And this is me. Yeah, yeah, completely. While Martin wouldn't give Electro house room as he thinks it's the worst thing to happen to music since Elvis enlisted in 1958 (laughs) because it's boring, repetitive, soulless and brainless. Mm. But he is keen on Jam On It by Nucleus. Except he, or the sub, thinks it's by new clues. (laughs) A record that has dazzle, colour and imagination in its grooves that doesn't require you to spin on your head for three hours before you can appreciate it. That was a big tune on our estate, Jam On It. Otherwise known as the Wiki 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 song. (laughs) But it's a coat down for the Lebanon by the Human League. More pop people with their serious hats on, writes Martin. Like their fellow Sheffield Socialists ABC, the league figure that musically the best way of showing maturity is to move away from their dueling crusted pop to the murk of rock density. But there's no real thinking or provocation in this SLF clash style banner waving sensationalism. This is a propulsive streamlined slab of modern rock that bears its teeth and stamps his feet, hopelessly immobile and incapable of agitation. Oh dear. I do remember feeling a little bit betrayed when the Human League had guitars on one of their records, yes. mm. to be honest. But then somebody like Gavin Martin would probably have thought that's a slight improvement because he hates all mm. that electro crap. And yeah. that thing he said there about Nucleus and just his his point that he made in that earlier uh, Shirley Brown review, it's very symptomatic of a way of thinking that yeah. was at large at the time, which was that um, black American music is fine as long as it's old. It's got to be yes, it's got to yeah, be yeah. twenty years old, and God forbid involves people spinning on their heads is is mm. to be you know you've got to got to be sort of wary of that. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. So he's he's very much one of these kind of keep it real. Black music's fine as long as it's from the past kind of guys. Yeah. Well, that's what I was like at the time. I guess so I like... was to an extent, but then I also loved things like Let the Music Play by Shannon, or yeah. you know, Word Up mm. by Cameo, or Ain't Nothing mm. Going On But the Rent by Gwen Guthrie, and all this kind of stuff. So yeah. you know, I I was I was open to both. It's a way for Martin to to sort of reject new pop. And simultaneously, yeah, just kind of sort of hypostatized black pop back to 77. Much as people were doing reggae, you know, it all went downhill when dance all started and soul all went downhill once synthesizers started getting involved. King have put out their debut single, Love and Pride, and Martin immediately puts the spray painted boot in. 
It's gormless, aesthetic, obervise, upturned, extraneously performed London club goers dance music. I suppose a few years ago we'd have had them as the inevitable next big thing and put them on the cover. Nice to think how we've all matured. Can I ask Neil on this point? Because mm. we we all know what Cov people think about Two Tone because it's a fucking museum. Mm. Yeah, we know yeah. what they think of Lieutenant Pigeon because there's going to be a blue plaque. Yeah, what yeah. do Cov people think about King? <laughs> <laughs> there's no pride. Let me put it that way. You know, uh, any love? A bit of love for maybe the single. I think it's a class-based thing, Simon. I, th- I think like specials. Orchids and, and and all the others that kind and, and Lieutenant Pigeon, they come from a sort of general cough background. With King, for me, they occupy. They're not as bad as the enemy. Don't get me wrong, but they're, they're, they're one of those don't cough start bands. That again. No, I'm not going to sh- open up that can of worms. But um, they're a cough band. But are they a cough band? Because they were kind of like you couldn't tell whether they were from cough, and you didn't really see them out and about in cough much. And they they were kind of like you don't see Bobby's on the beat anymore. Wow. Because it used to be a copper, didn't it? No, but you could never tell. Were they from Leamington? Were they from Kenilworth? You know, they were Ooh. kind of a bit more middle class. And, and, right. and consequently, there's no, there's no love and pride in, in King, uh, in Cov. Um, there's no sort of fond reminiscences or anything like that. And it's not like you've got to play love and pride at a Cov party, whereas right. you do have to play Moldy Old Doe and you do have to play special stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Helen Terry is striking out on her own with her debut solo single Love Lies Lost, but Martin doesn't reckon it in the slightest. She should get her own group together and call it Helen and the Foghorns. It's a sad reflection on the inherent racism in the industry that, were the likes of Carmel and Miss Terry struggling lovers rock chanteurs in Stoke Newington or Harlesden, they'd never see the inside of a recording booth, let alone a place in the charts. Oh, for fuck's sake. Right, for a start, I mean, Love Lies Lost is a banger, but that's neither here nor there. Um, what does he want, Carmel and Helen Terry to do I mean blacker <laughs> I don't know it's, it's just a weird thing to do to sort of use them in order to sort of virtue signal about you know how uh, black female singers d- don't get the breaks which I'm sure is true but ah, just whatever I'm just yeah, <laughs> but if he's talking about inherent racism and it's odd it's kind of revealing in the previous reviews that you know a black kid from Stoke Newington or Halston spinning on their head isn't going to see the inside of the enemy are they exactly you know somebody else's guy by Jocelyn Brown Ooh. would be dead good if it stayed like the intro all the way through peace in our time by the imposter Elvis Costello, whenever he fancies doing something political, is a woefully mournful dirge. Do the square thing by the three Johns is flat and bland. And Country Girl became drugs and sex punk by serious drinking. Is punk by numbers of the sort that the members and ruts excelled at. And serious drinking can only pay lip service to. Hang on a minute, right? But he likes the band name. Jocelyn Brown. Somebody else's guy, right? Yeah, mm. the intro is great, obviously, yes. especially on the full-length mm-hmm. version, right? But come on, the entire song, start to fucking finish of the full-length version, is an absolute fucking battleship of a record. It's a fucking mm. juggernaut. How can anyone not love that? Oh, is it because it's got synths on it by any chance? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> For fuck's sake. That is just one of the greatest records of the 80s of all time. 
I think we can all agree on that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jocelyn Brown is actually playing a festival near me this summer, and I've thought about going along just to hear that one song. You know, I mean, fucking hell. It sounds like you want to write a letter to the enemy, man. I want to write a letter to the enemy, (laughs) yes. In the LP review section, well, the main review this week is given over to Der Austin ist Rot by Holger Zuke, and Richard Cook deems it one of his most sombre releases to date, and a departure from his last LP, 1981's On the Way to the Peak of Normal. One wonders if this is a descent into the maelstrom, he writes. Stuart Cosgrove has been given three new Motown LPs, Don't Look Any Further by Dennis Edwards, In a Special Way by DeBarge, and Joystick by the Daz Band. And not surprisingly, he makes the X-Temptations LP the pick of the bunch, even though he's sporting a wet look. Thanks God and his hairdresser in the credits, and he's using Sims. <laughs> Meanwhile, DeBarge are... Pleasant Pop Soul, a band who thank Jesus and wear purple leather trousers, and the Daz Band are a massive disappointment. So much promise, but so pedestrian, the funk band that falls asleep on you. But it's a big fat coat down for Grace Under Pressure, the 10th LP by Rush. I don't suppose it's exactly news of any kind that the latest album by Rush stinks like a lorry load of whelks in August. But what perhaps is news is that the following penny has dropped. The Police are a very successful trio. Rush are a far less successful trio. Therefore, to be more successful, Rush must imitate the police. They screw it up, writes Matt Snow. Quite honestly, if you can derive any pleasure or meaning from grace under pressure, then you must be some kind of dickhead. <laughs> and that's not snobbery, that's the truth. <laughs> Demonstration Tapes, an anthology of UK subs offcuts, is given about this much shrift by Bruce Dassault. <laughs> Like the national football team, the subs have undergone numerous personnel changes without tangible alteration in performance or fortune. In fact, why should they record a new album when it would not sound a million miles away from this one? During the recording of All the Young Dudes, David Bowie mic'd up a toilet cubicle and crammed Mott into it. This LP sounds like the toilet has been mic'd up, but the band are playing in the corner of the pub. Oh, punk is dead. In the gig guide... David could have seen Dennis Brown at the Brixton Academy, Jeffrey Osborne at Hammersmith Odeon, R.E.M. at the Marquee, or Billy Bragg and the Redskins at the Electric Ballroom. Yeah, Redskins, Simon. Nice piece you wrote in the Quiet mm, recently. Yeah. Thank you very much for doing the plug for me. Yeah, I mean, what a gig that would have been, Billy Bragg and the Redskins. I would so love to have been there. I'm very jealous of the fact that you saw them, what, three times or something? Oh, more than that, about five or six times. Really? Fucking hell. Yeah, um, I I wrote a big piece about the fact that their, um, I was going to say debut album, their only album, neither Washington nor Moscow, uh, has just been reissued in all those kind of deluxe formats. So I wrote about that for Quietus, and it sort of like allowed me to expound my thoughts on uh, just kind of left-wing 80s pop in general, but particularly the Redskins and the fact that I was, you know, the age of 16, this era that we're talking about, very exercised by the possibility of a genuine working class revolution because of the miners yeah. strike and mm. the redskins are completely tied in with the miners strike and when when the strike ended 
they kind of fizzled out as well. The, the whole yeah. purpose for, for, for being just sort of went away. But what an exciting album that was. Just Yes. But what were they like live? Come on, I want to hear about it. Oh, they were fucking mint. Yeah. Like a lot of people who missed punk, this was the nearest we were going to get to seeing The Clash. And there was always that threat of a bit of aggro outside afterwards. Possibly whipped up by the Redskins. I think it was Martin the bassist would always say, oh, you, you look out tonight, you know, when you go out, we've heard there's some dodgy right-wingers outside. Well, it did happen once that, they, you know, one of their gigs was stormed by, you know, National Front skinheads and, you know, there's a massive pitched battle going on. So, yeah, uh, yeah Martin Hughes, the guy you're talking about, ended up having to sort of hide a baseball bat behind his amp yes. in case this happened again. Taylor could have seen Swan's Way at Birmingham Powerhouse, King Kurt at the Tin Can Club, Talk Talk at the Birmingham Odeon, Nana at the Odeon, or camped out at the Night Out for a whole week to see the Nolans. <laughs> Neil would have gone through a gig famine, alas, as nothing is happening in Coventry this week, but he could have seen Dion Warwick at Wolverhampton Grand Theatre. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Neil. No worries. No worries. <laughs> Sarah could have seen Slim Whitman at Hull New Theatre, Swan's Way at the Sheffield Lead Mill, Prefab Sprout at the Sheffield Lyceum, or REM at the Leeds Warehouse. Wow. Al could have seen Camel at the Royal Concert Hall, Alexis Sale at the Theatre Royal, The Cure at the Royal Concert Hall, Sisters of Mercy at Rock City, or Crass and Fluck of Pink Indians at the Marcus Garvey Centre and Simon could have seen alien sex fiend at bogeys in Cardiff and fuck all else. I have in my hand a typed a typed letter from the dad of one of alien sex fiend. No, why? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> right? no. In the 80s, uh, my dad had a radio show on CBC, mm. the local radio station in Cardiff, um, whose studios, funnily enough, were also in the red light district, along with Jacob's Market and uh, the studio where the Manics recorded the Holy Bible. You've got to keep all that kind of stuff together, aren't you? Yeah. Um, so my dad had the sort of graveyard shift um, show. I guess it was sort of... Don't know, it might have been sort of midnight till 3am or something like that, which was really handy if I was going to a gig or a club in Cardiff. Yeah. Because I could just, yeah, and I could go in there and he could drive me home. But because it was late at night, he could probably just play whatever he wanted to play. Uh, you know, he wasn't sort of bound by the playlist. So mm. he actually played um, Alien Sex Fiends on his show. And um, the thing is, they were a Cardiff band, so he could justify it right. on the basis of them being local. And um, mm. since my dad passed away, I've inherited, um, well, as many of his records as I wanted, um, including all his Alien Sex Fiend singles. And lo and behold, when I uh, went to take them out of the sleeves, there were letters tucked inside, um, some of them. Oh. from. And here's the first one. It's tucked inside their single, Dead and Buried. Wow. It's not directly to my dad, it's to the station. It says, Dear Sirs, because, you know, they, they couldn't imagine there being any madams at the... <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. um, considered you may be interested in the disc Dead and Buried by the Alien Sex Fiend Band. <laughs> Write-ups in sounds on pages 3 and 54 and back cover. On keyboards with the group is Chris Fiend, formerly Christine Alexander of the above address, ex-pupil of <laughs> Howells School, Cardiff, and latterly a microbiologist, BSc, Surrey University. Fuck. If you require any further info, please contact me as above. Sincerely yours, 
Ted Alexander. Wow. Oh, bless. So, yeah, that's the, that's the dad of... The very proud dad of Chris Fiend. Yeah, that is such a dad letter. Yeah, talking about her <laughs> academic achievements as, as well as, you know, the fact that she's from Cardiff. A later single called uh, Smells Like. There's actually a little... This is a bit more terse. It's a post-it note. It's like a little memo mm. tucked inside, mm. which I imagine is also for Mr Alexander. It says, Chris Fiend, Cardiff girl on keyboards, support group for Alice Cooper... And then it's got a list of the Alice Cooper tour dates written underneath. So in response to this, my dad, who was always looking for a local angle on any music he could play, uh, he was really into that. He's big into sort of uh, helping local bands, did start playing Alien Sex Fiends. And then in one of their later still singles, I found a letter from the mum of Nick Fiend, the lead singer, thanking my dad, thanking my dad for playing her son's records on the air. (laughs) And it's so sweet. It's just really sweet. Just, you know, because you don't think of these sort of scary you know war painted goth electro bands as having proud mums and dads yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know no. but they do yeah and it's it's just a really nice unexpected thing to find tucked inside a record yeah if i went to my mum and dad and said oh i'm in a band at the minute called alien sex fiends <laughs> i don't know if they'd be as encouraging as that <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell anyone in a band you know whenever they go back to the parents house the, the, their parents are saying oh, how's the music going you know and yeah. they are encouraging mm. us that's, that's so sweet yeah the alien sex fiend band (laughs) (laughs) i love it talking of which in the letters page this week paulo hewitt is in charge of gas bag but the vast majority of the letters are people licking the enemy's ass about their recent issue dedicated to soul and are a bit boring so let's go over to this week's melody maker instead which has a 20 page mini pullout exclusively dedicated to big country where backlash is being manned by Adam Sweeten. 20 pages, good lord. Yeah, a mini pullout. Yeah. But, you know, 20 pages on big contrast, Simon. I mean, I was a fan, but even I'd struggle to read that much <laughs> on them, I'll be honest. Yeah. Pete Burns was interviewed in Melody Maker a fortnight ago, where he told Sweeten how Dead or Alive got revenge on Nick Haywood for slagging them off in a singles review by chancing across him at the Epic Studios, waiting until he had nipped off for a quiet shit, and then appearing over the top of his cubicle with a fire extinguisher each, and literally coating him down in return. Anyway, despite the fact that Burns said nothing disparaging about Boy George in that interview, Isabel of Swansea kicks off, <laughs> telling Melody Maker that she has had her fill of this year's most lovable bisexual. <laughs> okay, Pete Burns, enough is enough. Stop slagging George and remember your mediocre success is down to him. George broke the media and had them eating out of his hand because he worked to become a showbiz personality, which you seem to hate. Because he made people accept him, you can now appear on top of the pops looking androgynous and wearing outrageous clothes. You won't become a millionaire like George because you're too sexual. (laughs) (laughs) But all the money you do make will be because of George's hard work appearing on Russell Harter and Wogan. It's a strange defence, that, isn't it? Yes. Um, you're only making it because George sold out, I guess. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's odd that. Uh, as, as we've already established, I have married into the family of this year's most lovable bisexual. Yes. So, uh, you know, I'm saying back off, Isabella Swansea, all right? You're, you're <laughs> definitely Team Burns now, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. 
part of the family and uh, had form with boy George. I've had, yeah, well, you know, we've we've had our ups and downs, me and George. Mind you, you know, when when I met Pete the one time, he wasn't exactly the friendliest, but, you know. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I'd have been disappointed if he was any other way. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. you meet, yeah, you meet yeah. Pete Burns, you want, a, you want the real thing, don't you? So, yeah. Mm. No, I'm, I'm, I'm totally on his side, even if he is too sexual. Yeah. <laughs> Unsigned of Raven Road, Walsall has decided to rip all their Duran Duran posters off the wall after reading Steve Sutherland's piece about the band swanking about in New York the other week and generally going about thinking the summit. Thanks for a really interesting article, Steve. I am sorry to note that you have become just as disillusioned in Duran as I have. I have been a fan for three years and now I think it's time to move on. Please send my condolences to the New York fan who they casually dropped off the back of their limo. I hope her broken leg gets better soon. It's nice to know they care about their fans so much. What did Duran Duran do there? <laughs> Was it some kind of wrestling move? Did do a fucking suplex off the back of a limo? Okay. There is this perception, isn't there, definitely at this time, that Duran Duran have gone too far or are getting too big, getting too moneyed up. They've gone too far yeah. this time and they're dancing on the Valentine. <laughs> but they're brummies, you know. Oh, here we go. They're not going to be <laughs> tasteful about their newly acquired wealth. They're brummies. <laughs> they're Bulgarians, you know. So. <laughs> in regard to a recent article published in your magazine on Queen preparing a video for I Want to Break Free, I feel I must comment on the matter the subject was approached, writes MC Smith. Oh, that brings up some fucking appalling visuals of a rap in Morrissey, doesn't it? (laughs) There are some members of the public like myself who would gladly welcome a praising and couth report on Queen's activities. However, you chose to print articles which contain material, making them out to be lower than a snake's belly. Unfortunately, this does not ensure my purchase in another magazine, except the one in which you print this letter. Yours disgustingly, etc. <laughs> A Lionel Richie fan, aged 28 and proud of Strange. it, is deeply offended at Dessa Fox's review of Hello. It happens to be an extremely good record, just because it's not punk junk or disco does not give that idiot the right to write such dribble it's people like dessa fox that are the zits on the face of the human race (laughs) if she wants to pick on someone then what about that grade a prize wally slash turkey slash head case alexi sale Why does the Melody Maker allow idiots like Killing Joke to review the latest singles as Sandy Arnold of Ashford? Tamara Loftin of London thinks that Steve Sutherland looks like Kelly Monteith <laughs> and Linda Perkett of Mordom is massively offended at Torval and Dean being made Wallies of the Week and points out that they have bought beauty and happiness to so many people, unlike Melody Maker, which is a cheap <laughs> and nasty rag which dwells on all that is rotten and is, quite frankly speaking, an insult to decent people yes quite proud of that actually <laughs> yeah proud melody making writers right here 52 pages 40p i never knew there was so much in it oh the main two ink is appealing off now aren't there enemies just backing away from the charts 
Melody Maker trying to be the Inky Smash hits. It's, yeah, it's all changed, isn't it? I think at that point, Melody Maker still didn't know what it was or what it was for, to be honest. Um, it didn't really find its mm. direction until mm. Reynolds and Stubbs joined um, in 86. Uh, and Chris Roberts as well. Chris Roberts came over from Sounds. And then it became the kind of thinking person's uh, music paper. Uh, prior to that, you know, NME had been the thinking person's music paper with people like Paul Morley and so on. Mm. Which means it's kind of weird to see Banana Rama on the front yeah. cover. Yeah. Because yeah. Banana Rama, you know, on the face of it, you think having Banana Rama on the front yeah. of the NME in 84 would be equivalent to, you know, now having something like, you know, Little Mix yes. or something like that on the front, if it was now. Um just doesn't seem seem to add up, but I guess Banana Rama of all the kind of pop groups had this kind of slightly alternative pop edge to them. You know, they mm. they I mean their their first single Iemuana was very credible, and then the next couple of records were with the Fun Boy Three, so they had that that kind of cred yeah. as well. Yes. And, Yes. By the time of this uh, enemy, they're, they're with Swain and Jolly, the mm. production team. But even so, the stuff they made with Swain and Jolly, Banarama didn't come across as much as kind of, you know, production line factory pop puppets as they would later under Stockache and a Waterman when they hooked up with Stockache Waterman. At this point, they still seemed to be kind of in charge of their own destiny. And the fact that they weren't very styled and, and coiffured, mm-hmm. they were very much sort of DIY, the way they danced, the way they dressed. Gimping, as mm. they used to mm. call it. Yeah, 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 exactly. So they did see just about within enemy's remit yeah well they're the the last of the post-punk bands really aren't they they are and they even had every now and then a tiny little political message in their songs like there's a b-side called give us back our cheap fares about london transport pricing policy and stuff like that and yeah there's there's a whole business with the the troubles in ireland that that uh that you know came out uh in in that article Mm. so yeah they were kind of more credible pop acts you know the best articles in this issue of nme are the the pop people Fish and Banana Rama because they've they've still got something to say and someone's poking them with a with a very critical stick. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is why one of the best music books you could possibly read is Ask the Chatter of Pop by Paul Morley, uh, which is out of print mm. now, but you know I'm sure uh, you can find it on eBay or whatever. And it's just all his interviews, and a lot of them are with all right, a lot of them are with people who are very much on his home turf, like ABC or whatever. But mm. then you know there'll be mm. interviews with Meatloaf or indeed. With with fish from Marillion and stuff like that. And it just gives you a, a real mm. a brilliant kind of rounded picture of what pop was like at the time and of the kind yeah. of questions you were allowed to ask major stars yeah. in those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the time when pop groups were still supposed to have a manifesto. And that's been painted in a, in a really poor light nowadays. It's like, what are you talking to them for? What do they know about anything? But it just gave the bands and artists a chance to prove that they were in the same world as us. I was always pissed you off know, if a band didn't have a manifesto. It's like, I, yes, I want to yeah. know what you yeah. Stand for on the major issues of the day. It was a huge deal yeah. to me. It was a deal breaker, mm. really. Mm. And people are shit scared of saying that kind of stuff now because they'll lose half the fan base, whatever they decide upon. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. This fucking shit old century. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what else was on telly today? Well, BBC One commences at 6 a.m. with a half hour CFAX data blast, and then Frank Boff puts on his jumper wipes his nose on the back of his hand and joins shaking <laughs> Diana on the sofa for another edition of Breakfast Time. <laughs> As it's Easter holiday, the morning is a non-stop barrage of Battle of the Planets, Look Back with Noakes, a mashup of old episodes of Go With Noakes, Mighty Mass, and then the youth of Bristol employ you to 
fuck off out and pull some statues down or something. <laughs> Why don't you? <laughs> After Ivor the Engine and Play School, there's a 35-minute CFAX data blast before the news. Then Paul Coyer goes sand yachting on Blackpool Beach and Gene Pitney does a bit of singing in the foyer on Pebble Mill at 1. That's followed by a repeat of finger bobs. Then Johnny Morris and Terry Nook can get shrunk down to two inches so they can find out what it's like to be a mouse in Animal Magic. Then it's the 1965 kids' film Zebra in the Kitchen about a lad who frees loads of animals from the local zoo and lets them doss about at his place. Can we just at that point uh, pause to say um, RIP to the great Yoffy from Finger Bobs? Oh, Rick hell Jones. Yes. indeed, indeed. Rick yes. Jones, who was a lovely man. And I became internet friends with for several years. And uh, yeah, just a great bloke. Anyway, carry on. After regional news in your area, it's Play School with Chloe Ashcroft. Then The Hunter, Jigsaw, Part 4 of Huckleberry Finn and his friends, John Craven's News Round and Blue Peter. Then it's 60 Minutes, the hideous mutation of the BBC News and Nationwide without the beer-drinking snails, <laughs> followed by the brass division of Young Musician of the Year, 1984. Fuck you now. <laughs> Come back tomorrow's world, all is forgiven. <laughs> Imagine if you turned that on early and you saw Young Musician of the Year, 1984, and just thought, fucking hell, what is going on with pop in 1984? <laughs> BBC Two stopped at five past six with open university programmes about feminism, the evolution of fish and the designing of lorries before embarking on a five and a half hour CFAX mega blast. (laughs) Then it's over to the Crucible in Sheffield for the sixth day of the World Professional Snooker Championship presented by David Icke. After a repeat of Risk, the peak experience, about the first two people to climb Mount Everest without oxygen, it's a new summary, followed by the 1957 comedy film The Naked Truth, starring Terry Thomas, Peter Sellers and Joan Sims, and they're currently five minutes into the evening session of The Snooker. ITV commences at 6.25 with Good Morning Britain, where the world is introduced to the latest Robin Hood, Michael Prade, who's there to shill the first episode of Robin of Sherwood, which starts on ITV in two days' time. Then it's Roland Goes East, where the Johnny-eared rodent superstar knocks about Hong Kong for a week with Kevin the Gerbil. After regional news in your area, it's Sesame Street. Then Laurel and Hardy pretend to be Native Americans in flying elephants. Then it's a look at the northern tribes in fascinating Thailand. Followed by Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Bene, Get Up and Go with Beryl Reed and the Sullivans. After the news at one and regional news in your area, Lord and Lady Banger talk about their war correspondence careers in A+. Then it's Take the High Road, followed by a repeat of a celebration of British fashion from the Harrogate Centre, where Diane Keane shows us some pastel collots or some such. After Sons and Daughters, Children's ITV is presented by Christopher Biggins and features Benny again, Aubrey, Madabout and the news quiz What's Happening presented by Tommy Boyd and Leonard Parkin. After The Young Doctors, news at 5.45 and regional news in your area, they're currently five minutes into Carry On Laughing. 
Channel 4 has a big lay-in, as was its want in its early days, and opens up at five past three with the 1943 Frank Randall film Somewhere on Leave. Then it's Countdown, the kids' show Everybody Here, a repeat of the ITV drama series Barriers, where a teenager loses his parents in a sailing accident and then discovers that he was adopted which makes everything all right, really, I suppose, and travels through Europe to find his real ones. Then the Good Food Show looks at the best supermarket wine, salt-free cooking and what we can learn from medieval banquets. Then Janet Street Porter introduces the women in advertising show Hey Good Looking and then now 10 minutes into Channel 4 News. Oh, golden age of television there. (laughs) What's jumping out of you, chaps? Probably all the kind of uh, educational stuff, to be honest, like feminism, the evolution of fish and lorries or whatever it was. You know, seriously. I'd rather watch that than any of the kind of stuff that's actually aimed at uh, your sort of casual viewer. What a degree, though, all those things (laughs) lumped into one. I've got to say, I mean, for the past minute, to be honest with you, I've just had um, the Sons and Daughters theme in me, Ed. Um, Love and laughter. Yes. Tears of sadness and happiness. We'll find out, our sons and daughters, what we two were once about. Yeah, what the fuck does that (laughs) mean? I never understood that line. I've been absolutely struggling to try and remember what Benny was. Yeah. Because, you know me, there's only one Benny when it comes to television. I I don't think there's a children's TV show about it. It's not a spin-off like Joey from Friends. No, if only. (laughs) No, Neil? No No idea, no. No. Benny Bullshit, I remember that was a variant of Itchy Chin was Benny Bullshit in Cop. <laughs> no, I don't remember this. Right. And the whole thing about the islanders of the Falklands being called Bennies by the yes. soldiers. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then when they weren't allowed to call them Bennies, they called them Stills. And yes. when asked why, it was like, Still Bennies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know you, you know what? I've, I have just found out what Benny Go is. Go on. Pl- Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Benny was a, a show about a dog. Right. Um, and <laughs> um, it, it featured an animated intro. Mm. And, um, yeah, in TV Times in March 1984, mm. um, there's an article called, uh, with the headline, Benny the Hairy Hero. Right. The latest star of children's ITV is a lovable mongrel dog. He's the hero of a new 13-part series, Benny, starting Thursday, aimed at younger children. Mm. Um, so the story is told as illustrated adventures, comic strip style, complete with dialogue and thoughts in balloons. Oh, that's ringing a bell. Yeah, that's ringing a slight bell for me as well. The series begins with Benny being rescued by two children, Bella and Jack, from a cruel barge owner. <laughs> and from then on, it's adventure all the way, we are promised by TV Times. Ooh. Is he called Pippin? He looks like Pippin. Yeah. Pippin was all over the shop in the 80s, man. Hmm. No, there's no name of the dog. Olivia Ward as Bella. Kirk Wilde as Jack. It's a specky little sod, actually. He looks a bit like me. That's disgusting, man. That's so animalist, isn't it? <laughs> Don't even tell you who's playing the title role. That's well, disgusting. They probably went through about six or seven of them, I should imagine. <laughs> hey, Neil, that dog's dead now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And on that cheery note, we're going to step away and come back tomorrow for part two of Chart Music 64. So, thank you very much, Neil Kulkarna. No worries. God bless you, Simon Price. Ah, you're welcome. My name's Al Needham, and I implore you to stay pop crazed. (laughs) Chart Music. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.